ora and welcome to the Making Waves podcast, um, a podcast that aims to make waves in the ocean that is your mind, encouraging you to think outside of the box and think about new things. Um, so today we have um, Tonga Puro Master Joao Komene, and um, so yeah, welcome to the show. Kia great um, to be here. Thanks for inviting us into your home today. Good point. Um, so to start us off, um, where are you from and tell us about yourself. Okay, kia ora tātou. Uh, ko rangiuri te maunga, ko kaituna te awa, ko te arawa te waka, ko tapui ke te iwi, ko ngāti tuhi ke te hapū, uh, ko te kahi kapā, ko makahai te marae. Te whare tūpuna, ko hini umu te whare kai, uh, nō te puki a hau. Uh, so I'm from Te Arawa Tasint, I'm Te Arawa Waka from Te Puki, that's where our iwi is from. Uh, I also have uh, whakapapa to Ngāpuhi, so nō te pū o te whake, I'm from Kaikohe, marae ko Okorihi. Uh, Pūhanga tōhara te maunga, uh, uh, ko pūna ki tere te awa, ko nga tuki matawhauru o te waka, ko kōrihi te marae, uh, ko nga puhi te iwi, ko nga ti ue unione te hapū. So that's my nga uh, puhi side also. Um, I was born in Tauranga, mm, went to Arataki Primary, uh, I was then shipped off to Auckland to do with school, uh, where I was lucky enough to get a scholarship there. Uh, spent most of my secondary schooling there. Uh, my mother passed away when I was 14, and I was uh, sent to live with my eldest brother in Hamilton, and attended Hamilton Boys High. I uh, did pretty well at school, I uh, did well at rugby, I did well educationally, um, then I decided to go to Waikato Polytech, it was called at the time, and I started a BIT, Bachelor of Information Technology. Um, I did pretty well at that degree, uh, I came top of the course, and after that I spent a few years doing contract work, making databases, websites, networking and so on. Um, uh, at that time, computers was a reasonably new thing in terms of word processing, and it was quite a, a, a expert skill, you might say. Uh, these days, just about anybody can make a website using an app and stuff like that. Um, so I did this contract work for a few years, uh, and as a young child, I always knew that uh, I wanted to speak to the Māori once. Um, learn the language and then speak it. So an opportunity came up at Waikato University to learn Te Reo Māori and do a core degree. This course is called Te Tohu Paitahi and still exists to this day. Um, so I did this course. Uh, there was only one condition. If you failed, you had to pay for the papers. Uh, I had no money at the time, so if, uh, failure wasn't an option, so I did really well, and I've never ever failed a, a uni paper in all of my studies, and I'm quite proud of it. Um, although I didn't have much of an option, failure just wasn't an option because I couldn't pay for the study. So I went to uni that year, that was uh, 2004, and I thought I knew a bit about Te Reo Māori, and once I started learning, I realised I didn't know much at all, but uh, my heart was in it and uh, ended up doing really well. Um, so this was a core degree to any degree, you did these eight real papers, it was rumaki learning, and then you could branch out and do any other degree that you wanted to, and I, I continued with Māori studies. Uh, there was, uh, besides Te Reo, there was a lot of other stuff to learn about. Uh, one of them being Tonga Puro, Mauraako, uh, Waka Taua, or Waka in general, Kapahaka, these 
a whole different there's many, many facets to Te Ao Māori and Te Reo was only one of them. So after doing this core degree, uh, I completed a, a bachelor degree, I then went on and did honours study as well, and this turned into a master's degree where I looked at Tonga Pūro. Um, one reason why I wanted to look at Tonga Pūro was uh, earlier in my university studies, I'd done a paper called uh, uh, I think it was called Te, Te Aonga Tonga Puro. And in this course, uh, you got to make five of the instruments. And I really loved Tonga Māori in general and didn't have any at the time. So the big draw card there was for me to make some Tonga of my own and obviously learn how to use them and so on. Um, at that point, uh, the lecturer uh, was Rangiria Headley, and um, uh, throughout the course, she was doing wānanga around the country and said to the class, uh, you know, if anybody's interested, you're welcome to tag along and come to these wānanga that I do. Anyway, I approached her at the end of the class and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll be pretty keen and it turned out that I was the only one that he had approached her. So I went, went to this wānanga at uh, Wairarapa. It was a Te Kura Kaupapa Wairarapa and sort of my first experience uh, being part of a wānanga from the facilitation side of things and fully blew me away. Um... She had called me up a few times to play some of the instruments and I was a bit nervous at the time but gave it a go and things seemed to go reasonably well. Um, and ever since then I, I sort of tagged along with her for a few different wānanga and then had the confidence and her blessing also to, to do what she had been doing. And uh, this all contributed to the revival of Tonga Pūro. Um, so much love still to Rangiria, she's passed away now, uh, very sad, but I always acknowledge uh, the faith that she had put in me to follow in her footsteps and, and do the kaupapa some justice. Um, so since that time I, I was sort of having a tutu around in my garage making some of the instruments out of bamboo. Uh, simply because it was easy to get, people were happy for you to cut as much as you want. Most people look at bamboo as a pest and it grows wild. You know, you chop it down and it'll grow straight back again. So, um, again, didn't have a lot of money at the time, but uh, could easily get my hands on some bamboo and you could make a, a number of different instruments out of it. Um, one of my friends at the time, uh, he had done a bit of carving himself, his name's Rani Ramagrath, he's now a tāmoku artist in Kaitaia. Uh, he invited me to his house and said, do you want to learn a bit of carving? I said, oh, that'll be pretty mean, I've never done any before. And he said, oh, don't worry, you know, I've got the tools and a bit of wood for you and stuff and I'll guide you. Okay, so... Ended up going to his house one afternoon and he pulled out this piece of wood and he said, oh, here, here, you should start on this. And I said, oh, what sort of wood is this? And he said, it's Cody. And I said, oh, no, I'm, I'm not touching that, I reckon. <laughs> and he said, oh, there's, there's two sides to every story. One is if I gave you a crap piece of wood, you'd probably wreck it anyway. But if I give you a good piece of wood, you, you'd probably put in a good effort. And... Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> I've still got it to this day, and uh, I think I'll always have it. Anyway, um, he'll draw half a pattern, and I'll draw the other half, and then he'll carve half, and I'd watch, and then have a go at doing it myself. So that sort of uh, led me more into making tonga puro. Um, still sort of just tautuning around, I didn't know much about the, the patterns we were carving and things like that and thought to myself, how I better get some formal training so that I can do the art form some justice. So at the same time I was uh, 
uh, writing my master's thesis, I was doing uh, full-time Fukaro class at the same time at Te um, Theoretically, this is impossible doing two full-time courses at once. But I'm a smart Māori and uh, I, I was uh, quite familiar with the scholarships process and stuff like that. So. I got a number of scholarships for my masters that year, which helped pay for my fees, and then I got a loan to do the study at the Wananga Waltero, and that only happened once, um, one week in a month, so I could manage to do both courses at the same time. So uh, I think I graduated in two thousand nine with the Fukuoka degree. Uh, Maybe it was the Masters 2009 and 2010 at the start of the year with my Fukuoka degree too. So all of this, the Masters was looking at the theoretical side of things uh, from a Māori perspective and then I was making the instruments so I was uh, had a good grounding through my degree of well, what sort of patterns are appropriate, what forms are appropriate to put on them and, and how to tell stories through the whakaurau, through the carving. Um, uh, after that I went into the teaching diploma, lucky enough to get a teaching Z scholarship with help pay for that study and uh, this was an avenue to get back to Tauranga where I'd been brought up and lived for many years of my life and uh, I have a decent life here. Um, uh, since sort of around 2010, I've been teaching te reo Māori, uh, firstly at Katikati College, then a role came up at Tauranga Boys teaching for Kauru and Te reo Māori, which was right up my alley, and lucky enough I, I ended up getting that job too. So currently I'm teaching te reo and for Kauru and I do a whole range of other things outside of my teaching role. Um, I'm a rep for our marae and for our iwi, tapuika. Uh, I've got a few hats at um, uh, NZQA. I'm the chair of the Whakaruruho Taonga Pūro. Uh, I'm a national moderator for Taonga Pūro too. So we see samples from around the country and uh, make sure that they're being judged correctly. Um, and I do a range of performances, commission, carving, uh, wānanga, uh, all pretty much based around Tongapuru. So I do a whole whole bunch of stuff, um, and we have three beautiful kids too. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about um, the whakapapa of Tongapuru and the name and the layers to that? Well, if I start with the word Tonga Puro itself, Tonga obviously means a, a treasure, and, and as a teacher, uh, it's quite important that people who are hearing things that I say um, understand them correctly. Um, a tonga can be translated as many different things. In this context, though, it's it's a, a treasure, and I always explain this as something that you. Uh, highly value. This could be something passed down perhaps from your parent or grandparent or, or even further back, an ancestor, and something that you treat with respect, look after, and uh, uh, treasure for your life. <clears throat> when people hear those sort of things now, it, I think the word Tonga is given some justice about what it really means. Um, Moving on to the word pūro, the, it's actually a compound word, you might say, in Pākehā terms. Uh, the word pū meaning source or origin, so all of these pū you could call them uh, are the source or origin of a, a sound, and the word oro refers to sound itself. So one of the instruments is called uh, a pū moana, so pū again referring to the origin of sound, and the sound comes from the mourner, so a conch shell, you might say. Um, I'm reluctant to use Pākehā terms because uh, 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 
kuwewe perhaps is not a flute, it's a kuwewe. And um, a lot of the time I have to use Pākehā terms so people can gain understanding about what I'm talking about. But important for them to know they're similar but not the same. Mm. Um, if I go back to the beginning of, of you might say, where Tonga Pūro had come from, um, there's a fellow from Kaitahu, the, from the deep south, who uh, I think it was uh, in the early in the 19th century, he had said that uh, ko te tima tanga mai o te ao, ko te wai o te tanga o na atua, which means in the beginning of the world, the atua sung the world into existence. So if we go back to the origins of sound, um, what does that sound like? Well, obviously none of us were there at the time when all of this was happening, but uh, in my head it seems like some deep humming, grumbling type sounds to start off with. And then uh, there'd be another layer on top of that where the volume increases and we have some... Uh, uh, articulation of tone and stuff like that and this keeps building and building and building until we get to something that becomes physical um, it's somewhat related to the conception of a child where you have the right elements and in this case we have the right sort of sounds and, and they're growing and harmonizing together and then all of a sudden something physical comes or well, what's that physical I, I don't know but um, this is how it seems to sound in my head and uh, the fact that Matiata, Matiaha Tira Mori who had recorded this tells us that uh, um, sound has always been important ever since the creation of the world and the environment and that uh, this is an important part of Māori culture and if we look at how, how the reo has uh, evolved and developed throughout time, traditionally not written, so it was all about sounds. Obviously combination of sounds, then we have uh, uh, meaning that comes with those and variations of meanings depending on, you know, a, a word like, uh, what's a good example of this? The word uh, too witty. Now, witty talks about the shaking. A too witty is actually a, a manual upright drill that they used. So you would have an upright shaft with a couple of strings attached to it, with a stone or bone flint as the head used to drill through things. So the too witty talks about too, or the standing shaft, and the witty, the action of it as it's being used, it's shaking as it spins. Now we change the word now to tiwiri, which talks about a, a screw or something that's twisted to enter into something else. So now the word ti by itself talks about the piercing of one thing into another and the action of it shaking or wetty at the same time. So these types of things tell me that sounds are quite important in terms of getting meaning out of them. So that, that's sort of a bit about how Māori view um, sound from a Māori perspective. Um, when you're talking about whakapapa, well, this all goes back to ngā atua matua, you might call them, or the main departmental gods. We have rangi and papa, and Rangi Nui, he has the rangi or the air or the tune you might say. So the tune comes from him. When it comes to beats, percussion, the manawataki, uh, now we're talking about those aspects of composition. If we talk about some of the sons now, these Tangaroa, god of the ocean, an example of. Uh, there's a whānau of instruments that come from Tangaroa, Pumuana, 
Pūtātara, Pūpakapaka and the Pūkaya and all of the sounds that they produce are strong, mighty type sounds as you'd liken to the characteristics of Tangaroa his power, his might, his tides, all of those types of things um, if we look at Tāne Mahuta, any instrument made out of uh, wood or something from the realm of Tāne Mahuta, the forest then that instrument whakapapas to him and the same with each of the other uh, Atua tu, Rongo, Tāwhiri um, Haumia, Tiki Tiki they all have connections too just like they do with us as humans um, you know, Rangi and Papa we've all got aspects of our parents in us um, uh, in us is a, is, is a beat in itself the beat of our hearts so again relating to Papa Tuanuku um, we've all got aspects of Tafri Matea in us the, the air that we breathe uh, the water contained in our bodies there's Tangaroa there and same with the other two also um, uh, I think one thing about Tonga Pūro is uh, a lot of the times when I'm doing a performance or a demonstration perhaps um, people get quite emotional and uh, I've thought long and hard about why because when I first started too it was an, an emotional thing I, I believe um in this day and age, there's so, so much noise pollution in our lives. Um, you know, these these traffic, these planes, these uh, laptops, we've got headphones in our ears, all of this sort of stuff. And I believe we've become disconnected to the, the, the natural world and the sound that comes with it. With the sound comes way to way at the same time. And it's that... Uh, uh, aspect that as humans in, in our modern world and technology and, and the rest of it that we're not even listening anymore but when I play one of these instruments that's made out of natural material um, there's some whakaero on it which has meaning and people hear this it's an organic sound although I don't really like that term um but it comes from nature and reconnects us with nature again too and a lot of the time that, that aspect is missing for us so now it becomes understandable why people get emotional um, it's not always sad emotional sometimes it uh, wells up a, a memory of something uh, special to somebody um, uh, a lot of people that I've had come to my wānanga we always start off with a bit of tanga so I can gauge who's in the room where they're from and what sort of experience they've had um, and uh, a lot of them have got a sad story to tell there's a lot of pain there and I think uh, they come for a, a healing aspect and for some reason, maybe they've had an experience elsewhere that they've had this emotional experience and uh, they want some more. They want some more healing out of it. And sound, especially Tonga Puro for Māori, is a, a huge healer. And, uh, you know, um, some of these people leave the one like new people. And it's like, it's quite powerful for me to be able to share that kaupapa and uh, see the positive effects that it can have on them, especially after possibly generations of being disconnected. And not just the sound, there's, there's a lot going on there for, for different people, but the power of the sound is huge. And... Uh, Quite often after these wānanga, people will, uh, will gravitate to particular tonga and 
you know, we all got our preferences. I really like that sound, not so much that sound, whatever it is. But uh, they quite often hit me up. It's like, well, do you make these? Yeah, I make them. Oh, can I get one? So then, sort of start that process around. Well, what do you really want? And they they need a lot of guidance really because they don't really know what what it looks like, but they know what they wanted to be able to do for them. So. Uh, it's pretty cool I reckon that they want more and for me it's about getting this back into people's lives and homes because if it's alive there it's alive Um, one of my personal goals is to uh, use these tonga how they were used traditionally at marae and you don't see a lot of this. Mm-hmm. You'll see a bit of it, maybe here and there, but um, example, uh, not so long ago, my partner's uh, grandmother passed away, and traditionally a kuwawa was used to lament, and I played one for her as she lay in front of us. Um, when she was taken from the marae to the urupa, uh, Pukaya, my son and I, we both blew uh, Pumwana, Pūtātara, to acknowledge her leaving the marae and to send her on her final journey. So, again, trying to keep those things alive in a pure, authentic context at the marae. Um, there's a bunch of different levels out there, you might say, of people doing different things, you know. Uh, mainstream music, you know, try and make some money out of it, perhaps. These other people, perhaps more like hobbyists, just interested in having a go and things like that. Um, well, one thing I've, I've identified, and uh, I did write about this in my thesis, about... Um, well, who can and who can't? Mm. And uh, I, I don't think it's for me to say you can or you can't, but I think you'll be able to answer your own question. And quite a lot of the time, I've, I've sort of come to this wall asking myself, can I or can't I? And the way I justify what I do is these two tests. <laughs> one is a, a gut feeling and if it feels okay to you then do it if it doesn't you need to stop yourself and start thinking with your heart and your puku instead of your ego the other one is the queer test <laughs> which says uh, if you can do this in front of your queer and not get a slap you'll be sweet. Because <laughs> uh, generally speaking, the older ladies are, are not shy to keep you in line. So if you can get away with it in front of them or, or it's okay in front of them, well then sweet is. Do you think the, the can I, can I not, who can, who can't, stems from the suppression of these art forms from colonisation? Or more so a way of protecting them within Māori? Um, uh, for me, in, in anything I do with Tong or Pūro, uh, I always justify what I'm doing. And it's justified by some tikanga, or some background corridor that I know about. An example of this is, um, I've done a whole bunch of stuff with a whole range of different people, flamenco guitarists, singers, uh, performing artists, a whole bunch of different stuff. And quite often they, uh, they approach music from a Western point of view. Um, you were supposed to play four bars, but you played five. And it's like, well, hang on, I'm not even reading music. It doesn't happen like that. It comes from the heart and it, it feels right at the time and that's what comes out. 
I'll, I'll probably never play the same tune twice. Well, never exactly the same anyway. Um, so now I'm sitting down with a <clears throat> Asian flamenco guitarist and he's quite troubled by this because he's to the beat, to the bar, and exactly the same every time. So, you know, it's about working with them and understanding how each is is approaching the performance or piece, depending on what it is. So that, well, he understands what I'm doing and I understand what he's doing and we can make it work together. Um, in terms of, is it colonised? I think the thought is colonised. Um... You know, a lot of the time, people's egos get in the way. It's like, oh, I'm the man, I, I can do anything. But uh, for me, it's it's got to have some grounding. It's got to have some background, and it's got to have some purpose. And uh, I quite often say, would you work from Auckland to Wellington for nothing? Well, hell no. You know, if I was going to walk that far, I would have to be going for a, a real good purpose and our ancestors did do that you know this is the reason why we have three days in, in olden times this could have been two three weeks instead to allow people to travel by water by foot depending on where they're coming from to pay their respects you know but as the western world impacts on us more and more every day we're dictated to by the clock and uh, some of these other things have been uh, moved to the side to allow for things to happen by the clock and that's not necessarily okay in my opinion or depending on the situation but sometimes things need more time and we need to be patient and give it more time so they can happen properly um, you know, if we rush things through, and I find this happening in my life too, if I try and rush things, something will always go wrong after the fact, or could have done it better had we thought about it better, and, and so on, just giving it more time. Um, so, colonised thought, yes, oh, I think there's still a lot of uh, education that needs to happen out there, particularly amongst Māori. Um, I say that because Māori should be the ones carrying the kaupapa and sharing with others. I'm not saying hold it close to your chest so nobody else knows, but that's why, partly why I do what I do, to be able to share with the real people on the ground. Um, a number of my counterparts are out there hitting indigenous conferences, travelling around the world and stuff like that, which is cool, you know, all good for them. Um, for me, this time in my life, we've got young kids, I'd rather watch them grow up than be overseas. Um, I think those opportunities will come later, although I, I really like working with the people on the ground. Uh, for me, the more I can be sharing with those people and the more they go out and share with other people, well then we're actually reviving the art form, not just I'm reviving it, because mm. I can't do it all by myself. Um, you know, each to their own, I suppose. You know, we're all at different stages in our lives and commitments and so on, but I reckon you know, maybe in 10 years or so, I might be out there travelling the world sharing the scope up or two. Mm. Um, I have been overseas a couple of times, uh, specifically for Tonga Poro. And, you know, that was enjoyable, but uh, not so much at this time. Um, I can't help but think, but associate the vibration that um, sound and Tonga Poro and all types of create in the body and I have this association with sound as um, kind of not intangible but the sound itself is more felt than seen or um, yeah. and when you talk about it, um, sound being used 
when um, our dead transition, I kind of look at sound and its formlessness, I guess, as this, like, as a way to transition from being to non-being. And um, these spaces and ideas around, like, the physical and the metaphysical and stuff. And I was just wondering, is there... Um, tonga that kind of for example the tonga poro from tane mahuta does it have like a deeper kind of earthy vibration does the different tonga kind of pertain to the different sounds and vibrations and then how do those sounds relate to parts of us like parts right. of i don't know the brain or the heart or yeah, if I pick up on a couple of things as you said there, we've got the physical and the spiritual. Mm. Where does sound sit? Mm, Probably in between. in between, right? It's not it's not physical because we hear it. Uh, it's not a hundred percent way to it, but it's both at the same time. Um, and you know, it's all about vibration. You know, in uh, well, sound is vibration. Um, example of this is, and I've done this a number of times, actually going into the bush where you can't hear any noise. I'm talking planes, cars, music, whatever it is, and sit down and close your eyes and listen. And... Uh, it's pretty amazing because now you're forced to listen to the world instead of all this other stuff and it's pretty amazing um, well, when we talk about hearing there's a number of different levels and there's the most prominent sound which is probably my voice at the moment um, there'll be another level where there's a bit of background noise Perhaps the clock ticking. There'll be another level, sort of in the background. There's some traffic noise happening outside at the moment. And then probably the deepest level is that what you see and interpret into sound. So, you know, a classic example Rangiria would uh, talk about is. Um, one day she was at the uh, Waikato Uni next to the lake with Hedin in Melbourne doing one of his classes and he says to the class you've all got a kōwewe play me the ripples on the water and they all like well, what have you been smoking on? <laughs> <laughs> right, but, but the learning in that was now we're, we're we're adding in the tahawairu or the spiritual element to where you have the the you interpret what you're seeing into a sound and not very easy to do you know it'll take you some time to get your head around well did that sound actually communicate those ripples or the fog over a river you know how, how do you turn that into sound well, that's interpreted different by everybody, but uh, probably the deepest level of understanding sound at the same time. Because now we've got this tahawairua in there. Um, uh, there's probably quite a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> How long do we have? We've still got a bit of time. <coughs> So, ihirangaranga, it's Māori word for vibration. Um, as I mentioned before, this organic sound, and because it's organic, it really gets to the core of your emotions. And um, I know there's Western music that has elements of that, but I, I think this tonga or sound actually gets right to the heart of it all, and quite quickly. And uh, for some people, that can be embarrassing because they didn't realise that was going to happen to them. Mm. <coughs> you know, sometimes you just get overcome with emotion and it happens and 
you know, that's all good. But uh, um, it, it all goes back to the the environment because these instruments are all made from materials from the environment. Although people are replicating them now out of uh, newer materials, 3D printing them, Corian, which is a mix of plastic and stone. <clears throat> because the traditional materials are becoming harder and harder to, to get, there's less and less whales in the sea for whale bone, and mm. Ponami is getting more and more so rare. Kaitau's shut the door. You know, I've got some friends who are Ponamu artists who are struggling to get their hands on some. You know, all of these types of things. Which, uh, at the same time, makes the originals, or those made out of traditional materials, even more precious. Um, so recently I've thought about uh, 3D printing my collection because... There have been occasions where one or two of them have gone missing or been damaged or completely broken and uh, you know I've gotten upset not particularly with the person but these are like my children too and uh, I treat them like that you know I make sure they're kept well and looked after and all of this sort of stuff and somebody else comes along and has a go and throws it back on the table and they're not precious about them, whereas I am. Um, if I was to get them 3D printed, well, go nuts, you know. If it gets broken or lost or whatever, I could just print another one. But it keeps uh, my original collection safe at the same time. Do you think if you printed them, they would they they would sound the same, but there's like that difference between sound and vibration. Mm. Do you think they would meet? Um, well, I've actually got one or two that have been printed, not by me, by somebody else. But I was quite surprised that they could, I could play it like a like a real one, and it produced a sound quite similar to the real one too. Um, Oh, I think 3D printed things are okay for educational purposes. Yeah. When it comes to the real deal, not so. Um, it's like, uh, for me, it's like doing a carving out of a piece of pine. <laughs> right? It might look beautiful, it might suit the purpose it was made for, but it holds no mana. Because mm. it's a foreign tree. Right? And same too with uh, these 3D printing of Taumapuro um, yeah it can look the same it can sound the same but again holds no manna um, in quite often people are, are after the, the cheapest or the quickest that they can get you know it's like uh, I want a big fat carving oh okay what's your budget oh I've got 25 bucks <laughs> you know realistically uh um, you pay for what you get, really. Mm. You know, and uh, oh, I'm proud to say I've never carved a non-native wood. Oh, I just won't, because I feel like I'm wasting my time. Mm. Um, and I, I wanted to have the right mana, the right wairua in it. And uh, as I'm carving, some of me is going into this carving, and it's important at the same time that. I'm in the right frame of mind, that I'm not uh, frustrated or, or angry about other things and putting that sort of wairua into the carving so that it's done right. Mm. You know, um, before I start cutting wood, I cut a gear to make sure I'm doing the best I can do. I'm respecting the art form, the atua, that are uh, uh, a part of it at the same time. And the same again when it gets handed over to the recipient, I'll do a karakia to free myself, to disconnect from that particular whakauru and to make sure that the wairua it goes with to the recipient is right. And quite often people say, oh, do I need to get this blessed? And it's like, nah, I've done that. And it's important for me to do that 
being the artist mm. and disconnect. And you know, sort of early on when I, I started carving more seriously, uh, I found it really hard to let go. You know, I, I'll put in a lot of time here, a lot of emotion, and all of a sudden I'm saying goodbye. But this karakia helps me to, to sever that connection, you might say, and hand it over to the person. Mm. Um, there's, for me, when, when I'm looking at a piece of wood, you know, most of the time it's pretty raw, or square cut, just out of the mill or something, and I don't touch it until I see the carving. And it might sound a bit weird, but um, it actually jumps out of the wood at me. Reveals itself. Yeah, I, I can actually see it in the wood. And then that's my sign to say, hey, it's time to start. But sometimes I can look at a piece of wood for quite a long time and, and it doesn't happen. And then I think, what's going on here? You know what I mean? But uh, eventually it happens and it's... From there, it pretty much just flows. So, oh, I don't know if that happens to other people or not, but this was probably about eight years ago or so where it happened the first time. I was like, was I just seeing things or, or what happened there? But it's happened consistently uh, since then. So, good sign to me that um, uh, when I was doing my Fukuro studies, uh, it was explained to us that the carving is already in the wood and all you do is reveal it. Mm. So you have a process of uh, um, it's called now, where you release the, the form from the wood. It's mm. already sitting in there. So uh, I suppose that's that's Partly what's happening when when this form jumps out of the wood at me, it's revealing itself to me, and then I just chip away the the waste wood. Is that much the same process as well when you um, approach an instrument? Maybe you don't know what you want to play, but then the sounds and the like, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. When, when I'm making them. Um, you know, I play them as I'm making them, and the sound will change. Mm. And when it's fully finished, and you know, I do this karakia to finish off the full process, uh, I play it, and this is a sign to me uh, whether or not what I've done is, is good enough or not. And uh, more often than not, this mean tune comes out and it's like yeah mean this is a mean tonga but uh i don't know it'll be a bit weird if i played it and something weird happened mm. you know what i mean but yeah most of the time they play pretty wicked and mm. that's well you know <laughs> i'll make sure that you can play them before i hand them on so people don't come back hey this doesn't work yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> it does work. You just perhaps need to modify what you're doing a bit, or mm. bit of uh, education around that. Is there? Um, I wonder, like, say for example, um, each iwi has their dialect of language, or their signs and signifiers for the maramataka. Is mm. there like um, different? Tongapuro that are more prominent in different iwis? Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of that came back to what natural resource was available in their area. So here in Tauranga Moana, it's quite likely that they had the shell instruments and so on. Um, not to say inland iwi didn't. They uh, bartered, traded them. You know, they, they'd bring over kiriru perhaps to eat in would give them a bunch of kina and power or something that was plentiful in our area. So not all iwi had all tonga pūro, but 
more likely that uh, inland here we had more wooden ones because they had forests on their back doorstep you might say um coastal iwi would have better access to albatross bone and things like that you know being near the coast so they would have those types of instruments mm. um, um there's been kōrero about setting up like tonga pūro orchestras yeah. this type of thing and it's like mm, I think that'll be pretty amazing mm. but a lot of bloody hard work at the same time <laughs> yeah. one to source enough instruments for the number of people yeah. two teach them how to play them three teach them how to play them together mm. um, as much as you're playing or when I'm playing I'm listening at the same time particularly if I'm playing with other people so that we can play together I'm hardly listening to what I'm playing I'm listening to what they're doing so that we can sew it all together. Mm. Um, there's been times I've performed with people who don't listen and just want to be heard. Mm. So they'll try and dominate through volume or playing longer or whatever it is to catch some limelight, you might say. But to me, that's not what it's about. You know, if if you want to come with your ego, well, you must just video yourself and plaster it on YouTube or something. Yeah, and I think although we're calling it orchestra, mm. it's like f- through it there could be a whole nother discovery of what a collective of sound could sound like. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't have to sound like, you know? Yeah. Oh, I think that, that could be quite exciting. Mm. Um, although I think there needs to be some guidance around, because we don't know what the unknown is. Yeah about if we get to this point and the, this type of thing's happening is that okay or not you know what I'm saying there needs mm. to be some discussion about that mm. um, I'm not talking to the point where we need to regulate it uh, through legislation and stuff like that but the the people who are responsible at the moment you know le- leaders amongst the, the artists there needs to be some conversation mm. and uh, recently we were going to start these conversations with Creative New Zealand. Oh, really? Um, but because of COVID, it's uh, been postponed indefinitely at this point. But I was really looking forward to, I think there was eight of us that had called in to Wellington to sit down and talk about the future of Tonga Pūro because Creative New Zealand's, by the sounds of things, picking up uh, some of this responsibility. Which is cool. Mm. It's cool. Uh, I've never been a part of a conversation like that before, mm. but I think it's timely. And I, because there are a lot of people uh, picking up these instruments and using them, that uh, we should provide some guidelines around well, what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Collectively, provide those mm. so that we, you know, it's not me, but there's a group of us who. Uh, have some knowledge about Tonga Pūro and we think this would be okay and this perhaps wouldn't be. Um, one of those situations is playing Tonga Pūro in a band in the pub. Mm. And there's been a number of times, oh, I want you to play with our band, oh, when you're playing Friday, whereabouts, such and such a bar. I'm not interested. You know, that just doesn't sit right for me. Mm. Um, last year I got approached to play at uh, Matariki All Stars, which was in a pub. Uh, I was going to do a collab with um, Takai Rolleston. So he was going to do some spoken word, and I'll be playing some puru in the background. And I thought long and hard about this because I said a pub. And then I thought, what if we could make the stage tapu you might say mm. obviously you can't control the whole building but I could control what happens on stage um, this didn't actually happen the, the event got cancelled for whatever reason but I did have a conversation with Takai Rolston about do you drink? yeah do you drink on stage? no okay 
now I can work with this. So if we to if we to get on stage together and do our thing, this is what I need to happen. That there's no alcohol or drugs in this zone. That when we're doing it, we follow Tikanga. And he was all good with all of this, which was mean, because uh, I think a lot of other people would have went, ah, oh, this fella just said a whole bunch of demands and I'm not even worth my time. But uh, him being a Māori, he understood where I was coming from and why. So that made it a bit easier. But unfortunate it didn't happen, but uh, it'll happen sooner or later. And the music um, industry, per se, when you start to get into those like grey areas where they're trying to mix them, the music industry itself is quite um, uh, not a healthy industry. Oh, no. They're not worried about tikanga at all. Yeah. It's just how much money can you make me? Yeah. And if that's the kaupapa or... Yeah, I'm not saying uh, I don't get paid for anything. Yeah, I do, and sometimes I get paid really well. But um, I'm always willing to negotiate. Mm. I've always got in the back of my head, hey, I've got three young children at home, and is it worth my time doing this gig away from my kids? Mm. And if I think so, well, you know, it's not just about the money. It could be where the, where the performance is happening, location. might mean that I've got to leave home for two or three nights. Are they putting me up in a backpackers or a hotel? Or, you know, all of that sort of stuff. It does this uh, outweigh time with my kids. Mm. And, and if they make it worth my while, then, you know, I'm more than happy. Yeah. Um these are totally opposite at the same time sometimes. We, <laughs> I've done some quite extensive work for some people and uh, they've offered a seedling tree, you know, to the value of about $15. And, oh. you know, I took it graciously, but um, uh, I think real people will acknowledge your skill, talent and time and other people will take as much as they can get for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> In your collection, does the collection come from, um, you know, what we have in museums? Is that where you um, reference some instruments from? And also, do I don't know if you know or not know, but are there instruments that were used maybe for the black magic type of things that aren't used now or that had to go with their kind of people or like you know a yeah, good question no one's ever asked me about that before yeah um i can't really answer that oh i don't know um my, my knowledge of makutu and whaiwhaiya and these different types of uh, spells or curses and stuff like that is quite limited. Mm -hmm. um, I did have a conversation about this with my father before he passed away. Um, just some context, he was born in 1936, so back with the old timers. And um, I asked him about Makutu and stuff. Do you know anything about that? And he said no, being a man of the Lord. He's a Christian for the majority of his life. And he said to me, um, no one does that anymore. And I think uh, um, with the assimilation that's happened in our country, with uh, Christianity coming to our shores, uh, this was quickly um, squashed and uh, I don't know anybody now who's an expert in any of that mm. uh, fully contradicts Christianity and stuff and um, a fair number of Māori believe in that uh, belief system so I'm not quite sure Although they were sometimes used or described by Pākehā authors as having grotesque sounds, um, I think this was a full misunderstanding of what was actually going on. Mm. 
They didn't understand. They just simply made a, a judgment description about what it sounded like and obviously didn't sound like Western music or anything that they were tuned to, so it was ugly, this type of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, good question. Uh, I don't really have a, a straight answer for that. Mm. Well, I suspect there may have been uh, stuff like that as well, you know, if it could have such a powerful uh, positive impact why not the the opposite at the same time? Mm. And I think too, maybe back in the day, there would have been that balance between you know, positive and negative or, you know, the dark and the light, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so having the knowledge in both realms balances it out. And now, I guess with not that much knowledge of that, there's... Um, kind of these conversations around like how do we remedy that now? Yeah. I don't uh, know. No um, answer, but. Well, from my understanding, from a Māori perspective, it's all about balance, eh? Mm. You know, a, a, as much good as the, there is in the world, there's bad at the same time. Mm. And it's about us trying to keep as close as possible to that, that threshold, you might say. Mm. Um, uh, you know, this thing called utu, revenge or getting even you know and if someone had done something bad to you well then something bad to them would make it even mm. not this but from a western point of view it's uh two wrongs don't make a right mm. but from a maori point of view two wrongs brings balance again mm. <laughs> yeah true and it's all about balance you know uh we're using too much of the earth's water it's pretty simple. Stop using it to get back to the balance point mm. where the, the earth can uh, sustain us as humanity. There's a whole bunch of that going on at the moment. Yeah. You know, there's already too many humans on earth, basically, and yeah. something's got to give. Yeah. You know, with this recent COVID situation, um, uh, I, I looked at that as there's too many humans on me. This is Papa Tunuku. There's too many humans on me and I've got a scab on my arm and the scab's getting bigger and bigger and I need to fix myself. Mm. So it was get rid of some people so that I, my scab can start healing. Mm. Yeah, I totally felt that too. Yeah, and you know, um, for the, was it six weeks we were in lockdown? Six or seven? And how much the environment revived itself in such a short time. Mm. It's amazing, and it's taken us two thousand years to wreck it that much, mm. and then it revolves itself heaps in like seven weeks. Mm. And it's like, well, you know, when are we going to get smarter? Because I think, you know, we class ourselves as intelligent beings, but we're thick at the same time. Yeah, you know. Tell me one system that's sustainable for humanity. Oh, I can't name one. But it's all based around money. And, you know, oh, personally, I hate the person who invented it because look at the, the damage it's done to our world, mm. humanity and environment, where people are worried about their bank accounts and people are homeless and dying. Mm. You know, what's since, since when is money more important than people? Mm. Well, some people think it is, you know, yeah. especially if your pockets are full or you're earning millions of dollars. It's the, there's another uh, K-popper for a debate there. Yeah, even <laughs> when we were in the lockdown too, <coughs> I started to become hypersensitive to sound, yeah. to like... The subtle sounds that we don't hear, like, yeah, because you know, all of it, the rest of it was gone. Everything else was quiet. There was no cars driving yeah. everywhere. Everyone was just at home. Yep. There was not that many planes. You could hear the cricket. Yeah, you know. Yep, I do. Yeah, yeah. So it's been pretty cool. Anyway, we better wrap it up. Um, Good point. So for the listeners out there, how can they plug in to you? 
<coughs> you can contact me <laughs> on uh, Facebook. Nice. Joel Komeni Rodeka is uh, my name on Facebook. Um, sure, my contact details on me. Um, if you have any questions, want to know something, want a Tonga perhaps, uh, make contact, PM me, and um, I'll get you contacted quite often. I'm talking almost one request a day. Oh. To do an interview, or <laughs> make a tonga, or do a performance, or a wānanga, or some sort. And uh, I do try my best to accommodate uh, amongst all the other things that I'm doing in my life. So if you're interested, make contact, and uh, we'll take it from there. Okay, kia mōhi o mai te hunga whakarongo e kua uku tēne. Uh, so this is a uh, clay kōwauau, or flute, you might call it, um, and I'll just play a bit of a tune. Thank you so, so much for sharing your time and energy with us today. Um, kia ora. Good boy, kia ora.